Okay, so Genesis is getting a little bit, trying to piece it together. You can either go like super, super microscopic, or you can kind of seek to show the, the, the bigger picture of what's happening. And I've kind of opted to, to go with the bigger picture, for, for now at least, in today's section. Um, as we finish today, we kind of conclude the first big block of, of Genesis. And it's one thing to read through um, a, a book of the Bible and to kind of see the various, like, the, the, the stories that are within. Um, it's another thing when you start trying to teach it and explain how does it all fit together. And so, t- so today, there's kind of two stories that are uh, connected through a whole bunch of genealogy but there's really like a storyline that seems to be unfolding, and uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna cover a lot of ground. But there's really the story of of Noah and his sons, and then there's a story of uh, the, the Tower of Babel. And so these stories seem a little bit broken. But when you look at the big picture, what's happening in in the story is is uh, we see the spread of humanity. We see sort of, uh, you know, the cycle of individuals seem to worship God, drift, get corrected by God, and then they worship God again. That's like how the whole Old Testament seems to work in my mind. It's like that cycle continues to repeat itself. And so now we see sort of uh, following the flood, uh, Noah last week, he had, had made this altar. He worshiped God. Everything's going good. Then today, there's a story of him with his sons. Uh, we see the three sons go out. One son gets cursed, sort of the cliff notes here because we're going to be short on time. One son gets cursed. In that cursing, they end up becoming the, the Canaanite people who were a thorn in Israel's side for basically most of the Old Testament. And then uh, you have one son that we don't really talk about at all, and then there's the other son uh, that through him uh, comes Abraham, and through Abraham comes the patriarchs, through the patriarchs comes Jesus, and really is the storyline of the Old Testament uh, going to Christ. And so it all kind of weaves together where I think if we looked at it in little microscopic pieces, it would be difficult to see the, the whole of, of what's happening. Okay, so with that, let's look at verse 18. So we're in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the, these were the sons of Noah, and from, the whole earth, uh, from these the whole earth was populated. So we kind of have this picture behind me. I recognize that you're not going to be able to read it. At the very top, you have, you have Adam I'm trying to figure out where I can not be in your way. So you have Adam, and then you have Cain and Abel. We saw how that story ended. Cain kills Abel. Their story sort of uh, come to a, a conclusion. I can email it to you, Rick. I can see I'm trying to take a picture. That's not going to work. I can <laughs> let me let me help me help you. Just let me. I'll email it to you. Um, so Cain, so Cain and Abel. Basically, when Cain killed Abel, Cain was banished. Adam and Eve basically lost both of their sons. Then God gave them Seth. There's a whole bunch of black names there, and it ends with Noah. So then we follow Seth to Noah. We've been in the story of Noah. Noah then has three sons. 
it's very easy to remember the bad one because are Jewish people allowed to have ham? No. So he, they had a son named Ham. Ham's the bad kid. And so he's going to get cursed by his dad. It's going to end up becoming the Canaanites. I don't know if it's because of him that Ham was forbidden or not, but probably not. But, but it's, for my mind, it's easy to remember Ham is the bad one. Then you have Shem. And then you have a whole list of names from Shem uh, to this, this guy, Terah. And Terah, he was the father of Abraham. Abraham is critical. So this whole section from to, today where we're at, at, at verse 18 in chapter 9, all the way through to the end of chapter 32, it's the sort of laying the foundation and the setup for Abraham, the, the, the patriarch of the faith, which is the next big section of, of Genesis. So then as you follow Abraham, he eventually has a son, Isaac. This, this great picture of, of Christ being sacrificed is seen in the, the picture and life of Isaac. You go from Isaac to Jacob. Then you have the 12 tribes, the story of Joseph. Then you have Judah, which is the line from which Jesus would flow. So this whole foundation is being laid. In these two verses that we just read, we see that they get out of the ark. We see that he has three sons. From these three sons, the world is populated. Verses 18 and 19 are simply uh, like an overview of this section. It kind of explains what's going to happen. We have a little hiccup in verses 20 through 21. Then Noah began farming, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside of his tent. And so there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of commentary um, about Noah, his drunkenness, his fall, like his getting drunk, getting naked, and then what sort of happens with his sons. Um, it's easy to launch from this sort of like taking the whole of the New Testament. It's, it's, uh, you can make a lot of cases, but however, when we look at the story, it's pretty straightforward. Number one, he planted a vineyard. No big deal. That's where grapes, raisins, wine, grape juice, like a whole bunch of good stuff comes from like vineyards. Like it's, it's great. He made a vineyard. Then the next verse, he got drunk and naked. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no commentary. As, as the story unfolds, he, there, he's not even the bad guy in this. Like it goes to his sons. So, that, so then... What happens in verses 22 is Ham, the bad one, remember Ham, Jewish, not good, Ham, the father of Canaan, Canaanites were, this was a nation that would become a thorn in the Israeli side as the story of, of the book of Genesis develops. Um, so he became the father of Canaan, which was the father of the Canaanites, and he saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. There's not little. There's not a ton of commentary on this, other than it's implied that what he did when he stumbled into his dad's tent, there was an appropriate way to respond, and there was an inappropriate way to respond. Um, there's no Mosaic law at this point. As the Mosaic law would unfold and the rules would come out, it was be, it was inappropriate for a son to see his father naked, and so it seems that if you're a boy. You understand male sense of humor, and so it's very easy to see this. He thought it was super funny, so he goes to get his brothers to make fun of his dad, 
what his brothers are like, that's not right. And in verse 23, Shem, that's the grandfather of Abram. And this is Shem is the guy that the storyline is going to follow. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and they walked backward and they covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. So basically their brother comes out, wants to make fun of their dad, kind of getting, hey, bro, let's go come in, let's go take some selfies with dad or whatever they were going to do, like we don't know. There's a whole bunch of speculation over what Ham did, but we don't know. It's all speculation, so there's no, there's no real value in it. And so when he comes out to tell the brothers, the brothers basically get a sheet and they back in. And as they're backing up, the sheet's going over their dad so they don't see anything. They treat their dad respectfully and they walk out. And then the story continues in verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had, had done to him. And so this, this cursing is going to come about. Um, I, I can't not make some comments in this section because it seems so relevant uh, in our society concerning alcohol and Christianity and what do we, what do, we do with alcohol and Christianity? Like, what, what's our view here? Um, uh, there's a lot of extremes. Um, and so I have to start with, like, okay, number one, the Bible does not forbid the consumption of alcohol. Like, it's, you, just, you just can't, you can't make that case. We, we serve a Lord that says one day we're going to be in the kingdom with him and we're going to share a glass of wine with him, like, which is a kind of like a very difficult thing to, to make, to say that it's totally forbidden. Um, however, the Bible is super, super duper clear about drunkenness. Drunkenness is, there's... No question that drunkenness is forbidden in the Bible. Um, the Bible demonstrates very bad uh, consequences from drinking. Like the very first mention of alcohol here is a bad story. Like he got drunk, he got naked. Those two things seem to go hand in hand. And, and then a whole bunch of stupidity and regret and remorse. So, I mean, right away, he, he wakes up from the wine. He's like, oh, no, what happened? Um, and throughout the Bible and Proverbs, we talk about like the dangers of alcohol and its lure, like it's a, a lure. I think it's, it's, it's how it entices you. And then it just leads to bad places. Um, you don't have to look far in our own society, in our own culture to see the destructive nature of alcohol. Like my personal family has had a lot of scars from alcoholism, um, I'd venture to say that like way more people have been killed and harmed from alcohol than COVID, and the whole world is reacting to COVID and the way it's reacted. But for alcohol, it's still fair game. And so I think when alcohol comes up in the Bible, we, we have to re- really point out a couple things. I think it, it's, we have to be true to the text. The text doesn't say... Uh, that alcohol is forbidden for the followers of Christ. Like, we can't. I can see why you would want to say that, just to create some safety parameters, but it's not what the Bible says. Um, But I think that we can and we should say, uh, for the Christian and really for everyone, that, like, if you are going to consume alcohol, you need to be extremely cautious because... Its ability to like get out of control and to lead to really bad places happens super quickly. 
And so it's one of these things to, to treat like fire. Like, is it okay to have a glass of wine with your meal? For, of, of course, it's fine. Um, where the line from sobriety to drunkenness is, that's, that's, a, that's a grayer scale. And I would venture to say that we cross over that line far more quickly than, than we, we recognize. Um, Jeremiah's not here. They're camping, so I can throw him under the bus. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, so Jeremiah is a cop. And I remember on one of my ride-alongs with him, he was saying that when he first became a cop, he, um, he didn't want to feel bad for giving people, people DUIs. And I might be messing up the story, but don't let that get in the way because he's not here to defend himself, so we'll just go with my story. But so he said that what he wanted to do was because he wanted to understand what, what the degrees of drunkenness, drunkenness were so that what he did is he snuck home a breathalyzer and he just started having beers and like documenting like the DUI levels of like where he was. And, and I'm like, so what, what are your results? He's like, the results are like, I like, I don't feel guilty for giving people DUIs. Like if you're anywhere close to like 0.08, you're like, you're, you shouldn't be driving a car. And I was like, okay. I'm like, well, I don't think they had that in the Old Testament. So when it says, don't be drunk with wine, like God doesn't give us a breathalyzer. So it's one of these really, like, I, I, if you're going to consume alcohol, you should, you should do it super guarded and super cautious. And if you're not going to drink alcohol, don't turn into a legalist and say the Bible says Jesus turned uh, water into grape juice. Like, th- like we can't, like, we, we need to stay true to the text. Okay, with that, we'll, we'll move on because I got a lot to cover here. And this whole story is like, what is the, the purpose of the story doesn't even seem to be about alcohol. Like, the purpose of the story seems to be about Ham getting the cursing and Shem basically running with a blessing. Like, that seems to be the focus of the story when I look at this. And so Noah wakes up. He knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, curse be Canaan. So he's, he's cursing the son of Ham. So we know that he's a father back in Genesis 9.18. Just, we just read it a little bit uh, where it said uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. So we know that this is, this is his son. So Noah curses this, his grandson, who is the son of Ham. A servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. It's speculated that this could be that, that suddenly Noah has the gift of prophecy and he's prophesying what would come of them. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. This is like the great, 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 I didn't do the count of how many greats we need to do, grandfather of Abraham, who would be the patriarch of Israel, and so many promises that were fulfilled through the Abrahamic covenant, which we will get to. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Okay, so we see the, the cursing of Canaan, uh, this, this nation that would be a, a thorn in Israel's side. We see the blessing of the two other brothers. Although Japheth, we don't really know much about. The storyline of the Bible follows Shem. So then we come to chapter 10, this glorious chapter. 
so-and-so begets, so-and-so, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and I'm going to spare you all of that. Um, I, I want to cover this and sort of the big picture. So verse, verse 1. So now these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem is key here. Shem is the great, great, great grandfather of who? Abram. Okay. Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the sons were born to them after the flood. So, verse 2. All I'm going to read is like five words here. The sons of Japheth were. And it's going to list all of the sons of Japheth. Uh, Verse 5, we read, um, From these coastlands to the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, according to their nations. So that's, that's one family tree line. It goes this direction. Then in verse 6, we see the sons of Ham. Remember, Ham is bad. And so from verse 6 down to verse 20, we see the, the generations of Ham and how they were separated by their languages. There is an interlude or there is a, or maybe an expansion of one character, this, this guy in verse 8, now Cush became the father of Nimrod. Nimrod was this violent uh, warrior type, and he's the founder of these nations that are listed in verses uh, 9, 10, 11, 12. These nations that are listed are nations that were constant thorns in Israel's side. One of the towns you'll recognize, the town of Nineveh. Do you guys remember the story of Nineveh? Jonah, the whale, go tell. The Jews hated these people. And then they repented. So these are like wicked cities that were opposed um, to, to Israel, and they all descend from Ham, the bad guy. Okay? Then we go to verse 21, and we read, Also to Shem, the father of all the children of, and then you can fill in all the blanks, all the way down to 31. So we have the, the third line of Shem. And and so it goes all the way down. All the people were there. I do want to the pause. Uh, the Bible is showing us how the, the, the earth was filled. It's fascinating when you look at, I'm blanking on the name, uh, the, the people who study peoples and their spread. Um, they have told us that the descendants of Shem filled the Middle East region. The descendants of Japheth spilled Europe with a slight offshoot to India and the descendants of Ham are the, basically the rest of the planet. So they can, it's, I don't know how they do it, but it's, everybody universally seems to identify the spread of the population following all of this in the three different geographic regions. It's fascinating. Back to the text, verse 31. These are the sons of Shem, according to their family, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies by their nations, and out of these nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Okay, so now if you're a smart student, you're kind of like going, okay, I know the, the Tower of Babel story. It's chapter 11, the first nine verses of the Tower of Babel. It's like, what's the point of the Tower of Babel? Well, the Tower of Babel sort of answers the question of like, where did languages come from? Because I pointed out that throughout chapter 10, 
when it's going through these three sons and their families and how they're separated around the world, it says that they were separated by their languages. And it's like, well, where did this come from? And so now chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, it's sort of this parenthetical story that fits within the greater story of the, the, the genealogical record because when we come to verse 10 through the rest of chapter 11, the, the genealogical, let's see, the, the chronology of humanity that's unfolding resumes. And so this story is kind of just inserted. It seems to like explain, like, where did languages come from? L- languages are, are fascinating. For those of you who know me, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm really working on my Spanish. Um, I'm coming a long way, but I love languages. Like, it doesn't even, like, I, I really enjoy Spanish because it's what I'm most familiar with because I'm from California, and so it's like this, like, Spanish and English uh, it's my go-to language when I travel the world and I'm in a, nation, in a country where they don't speak any English, I start speaking in broken Spanish because that really is helpful. Like when you're in the Middle East, you know, they're speaking Arabic and I just go, si, si, yo entiendo, you know, and it's like they're looking at me like, you're a crazy guy, like these Americans, you know. But it's like if you're wondering, like all the languages around the world, it's fascinating to me, like super fascinating that like, and if you're trying to learn another language, are they just making up sounds? And it's like, no, no, these are like real words. And the more I study, the more I can hear the different words. Um, and so now chapter 11, these, this first nine verses, they're trying to explain it. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. I thought that was an interesting. So they're kind of going back before the languages. So somewhere, somewhere in this dispersing of people, somewhere in there, we're told that the whole earth used the same language. And he goes on to say, and the same words. You ever thought about that? That we could, like, you could use all the same words in English, but if we just garbled them up into different meanings, you could have a whole other language, and how confusing would that be? I mean, that would be, I mean, it's mind-blowing. I don't need to go too far there because we're running short on time, but, but he points out, it's like, same language, same words, it's like, same order, everything. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so... Here the people, as they gather together, as they grow in numbers, they find this location. Uh, they're independent. They're self-reliant. They, they don't want to depend on God. They want to do their own thing. They build this tower. They say, we're going to go all the way up to heaven. It's been pointed out that uh, man and his sinful nature exists to contradict God, that we are naturally arrogant. We are naturally self-centered. We are naturally deviant and disobedient. And so here this people, as they're, as they're growing and building in strength, they want to build up this tower to show their, their might and their independence from God. And it's really funny, and he says, we will reach up into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Then verse 5, God in heaven, what does he have to do? He doesn't say, hey, neighbors, what are you doing up here? It says, the Lord came down. 
to see the city and the tower which the Son of Man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing, now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so here we see God wants dependency upon him, not, not independency and self-reliance, which is what we're so good at doing. We see the story going, and then basically that's, that's kind of it. I mean, we're going through the genealogies, the author saying, everybody's been scattered by their own language. Now let me tell you the story about where these languages came from. So it's, fa- I mean, we look around, there's all sorts of different people groups, there's all sorts of different languages. Uh, I mean, languages are fascinating. Like when you studied languages and sounds and how various different people groups, like, and the Bible answers this question, well, where did they come from? Well, this is where it came from. But it's just this sort of, in my opinion, it's this, this interlude, uh, uh, this parenthetical story that's really showing the story of the genealogy of, of Jesus or genealogy to Abraham that ultimately would go to Jesus. Because in verse 10, right after this story, we're picking back up in chapter 10, verse 31. We get to chapter 10, verse 31. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to the languages by their lands, according to their nations. These are the record, chapter 11, verse 10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. So now we're still on the one brother in the family tree. We have Noah the three sons, we've already covered Shem, but now we're going to continue Shem and we're going to keep going down farther down the list to get to this super critical person in human history, Father Abraham. And so chapter 10 or chapter 11, verse 10, these are the records of Shem, generations of Shem, whole bunch of names from chapter verse 10 down to verse 26. So we are listing all of the genealogies of all the different people. Then we come to verse 26, and we see uh, Terar lived 70 years and became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the names of Nahor's wife was Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkah, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Super critical. This is the story that's going to begin to develop this couple who can't have a child, the Abrahamic covenant would flow out of this. The child that would be born would be Isaac, which is super critical because through, all, through him, all of these promises that God would deliver ultimately 
bringing bringing into a clearer picture that promises that was given that promise that was given in Genesis chapter three fifteen, that through her seed a Messiah would come. And so by the time we get to this point in the story with Abraham and Isaac, not to get too far ahead, everything lists rest on Isaac. And then God tells Abram, you need to go take your son Isaac and sacrifice him. And he gets to this point and God stops him. And this all sort of is a foreshadowing of the Messiah that would come and Jesus on the cross and God forsaking his own son, which all of the promises remained on. It's a fascinating story. But so here, it's pointed out to us, she had no child. And Terar took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 200, 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so the whole story, like the first 11 chapters, the foundation is laid, and it's, it's the springboard by which the story of Abraham and the patriarchs would launch. And so the question is, like, what do I do with this story? Like, I've been grappling with this chapter. Like, like obviously, Noah, while the Bible doesn't con- condemn him, it's easy for us to condemn other people. And so it's super easy for me to condemn Noah. It's like, dude, you just got drunk and naked, and you set your son up for this, like, to do this, the wrong thing. Now, that's not what the Bible says. This is Gunner talking. But there's encouragement here because no one in the Bible is perfect except for Jesus. Like, Jesus is the perfect one. And through the story of Noah, who the New Testament describes as this great man of faith, it doesn't mean that he was perfect. And that should give us all hope because none of us are perfect. We, we all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We, like Paul, the things that we want to do, we don't do, and the things that we don't want to do, we end up doing those things, and it's a terribly frustrating thing. Walking with God, having the Spirit of God within us, and also our flesh within us at war. And so I think there's an encouragement in this story today uh, that God is a God of do-overs, that he continually gives us new chances and fresh starts and the ability to do the right thing today. When I look at the story of Noah and particularly these three chapters, the whole uh, family lineage stands out to me, this, this, the life cycle of a, of a family. And whether you know your family or not, we all are a part of, of a family tree and a, and a family life cycle. And so it can be a little bit discouraging, like depending on what your family tree is like. Um, for me, there's a little bit of discouragement. Like I have no like godly, I don't want to say DNA, none of us do. Um, like I don't have a super duper Christian family tree above me. And so I can look at this and go, oh man, this is like discouraging. But the reality is in this story, in the story of the Bible, is you're not condemned by your family's history. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. 
And so I look at this story and I see how like implications of one individual can be passed down to the next individual, down to the next individual, and you can set family culture that's either good or bad. Now, I'm arguing with myself in my mind because just because you walk with God doesn't mean that your offspring are going to walk with God. We each, uh, we're independent creatures and we can, we can either choose to accept God or reject God. But we also can have an implication like on, on the influence of our children, our grandchildren, how, we, how they live their lives, hopefully by our influence, that we can have a positive impact. At least that's my prayer for the generations below me. That doesn't mean that I can force my will upon them. Each of my children have their, have their own obligation before God to either reject him or to choose him and to walk with him. Uh, my prayer is that they would walk with him. But, but there, are, there are implications from one generation to the next generation. And so my prayer for each of us, wherever you are in your family tree, like some of you are great-grandparents, some of you are like, like just about to get married, and it's like, you, like that we would really say, Lord, here's my life. Um, I've made mistakes. I want to like, I want to be used in my family tree. I like Whatever you're, if, if you have a super godly family tree above you, then Lord, help me to like preserve the line and help lead my grandchildren and my children to faith in Christ. Or if you're like me and you say, man, I have a really messed up childhood and I don't have this example, Lord, help me to change the, the dynamic below me. Um, and I just love that the story is like this connecting piece. Genesis 3.15, we see that promise that through your seed, something's going to happen. And today, in this story, we just got this big puzzle piece that helps fill in some of the gaps. Like, it's this big puzzle piece that's going to go, oh, Abram. And then through Abram, God's going to give us another piece, and we're going to begin the whole picture of God's uh, redemptive story throughout the Old Testament is, is going to start forming and taking shape, and we're going to see how he's fulfilling this promise that he initiated back in Genesis 315. We're starting the, the Easter season. Like we're not a very liturgical, well, not a liturg- liturgical church at all. Uh, but like this Wednesday, if you're raised Catholic, uh, like this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday where they put the little thing on your forehead. And I couldn't even tell you exactly why because I wasn't paying attention when I was, I just knew that I had to go do that. And, and, but I knew that it was like the kickoff of Easter season. And so, um, so we're going to break from Genesis for the next few weeks to focus on, on, on Easter. We're going we're gonna to just kind of insert ourselves into John chapter 13, and we're going to begin working through um, the night, the Last Supper that, the, that Jesus had, and to look at, at the night in which he was betrayed and ultimately his death, burial, and resurrection for Christmas. I mean, Christmas. Easter. Um, Okay, with that, we're, we're way out of time. Today is Donut Sunday, so come fellowship on the back. We're, we're, it's a taste test today, not Peterson's. We've gone with Savoy Donuts, uh, the, the competition of Peterson's, so well, a little taste test. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you uh, for our church family. We thank you, uh, Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst, uh, the this book of Genesis has so much in it, and it's the foundation for so much of what we understand spiritually today. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the story of Noah and how you used this man and how you preserved 
the genealogical record uh, showing how the patriarchs came to be and how from the patriarchs um, that Jesus would ultimately flow through so that Jesus could, on many levels, be authenticated for who he is and his credentials in being the Messiah. We thank you that in Jesus, uh, we can have full assurance that we have peace with you. We thank you, God, that uh, he paid for our sins in full on the cross. We thank you that in him there is newness of life and freedom and that we uh, don't have to follow into the patterns of our fa- family trees and our, the cultures of our family, that we can start fresh with you. We do pray uh, for our families, Lord, for those uh, in our family that we individually have influence over, whether it's our spouse, our parents, our grandchildren, our children. Father, we pray that you would use each of us, Lord, to be a light for you, that we would um, be able to demonstrate who Christ is and that through our lives of walking with him, that we would uh, make an appeal uh, for our family members that don't know you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.